Hello and welcome to the COVID edition of the Canadian Literature Centre's Brown Bag Lunch reading series, delivered to you in podcast form. I'm Sarah Krotz, Director of the Canadian Literature Centre, which is based at the University of Alberta in Edmonton, Canada. Known to many as a Miskwachi Waskagan, Edmonton is located on Treaty 6 territory and the Métis Nation of Alberta District 4. Wherever you may be, we hope you enjoy this chance to connect with authors from across the country. Today's podcast features a conversation and reading with the poet Louise Bernice Half, whose Cree name is Sky Dancer. Half is married with two adult children and three grandsons. She was raised on the Saddle Lake Reserve in Northern Alberta and attended Blue Quill's residential school. She then earned a Bachelor of Social Work from the University of Regina and completed two years of training in St. Albert's Nechi Institute, the Center of Indigenous Learning, where she has also facilitated the program. Half has been awarded honorary degrees from Wilfrid Laurier University, the University of Saskatchewan, and Mount Royal University. As well as serving as Saskatchewan's Poet Laureate for two years, she's been a keynote speaker at numerous conferences. In this podcast, Half reads to us from her four books, Bare Bones and Feathers, Blue Marrow, The Crooked Good, and Burning in This Midnight Dream. All have received numerous accolades and awards and will be reprinted next year by Brick Books and Kegadonse Press. A collection of selected poems, Sohkeita, which means have courage or be strong, was published by Wilfrid Laurier in 2018. And an eagerly awaited new collection, Awasis, Kinky and Disheveled, will be released on April 1st, 2021 by Brick Books. Half's poetry has earned her a Lifetime Achievement Award from the League of Canadian Poets, and last year she received the Cheryl and Henry Kloppenberg Award for Literary Excellence. The jury of the Latner Writers Trust Poetry Prize describe her literary impact in the following way. Half's poetics, they write, refuse the hierarchies of colonial literary critique. Instead, affirming the equality of the contemporary, the ancestral, and the mythological. Thus, they go on, her work cannot be assimilated in the canon of contemporary Canadian literature. Instead, it must be ingested, transforming our collective literature on a cellular level, reimagining our identities, languages, and memories as denizens of Turtle Island. Our podcast begins with a brief conversation with Louise in January 2021, still in the midst of the pandemic, and then follows with her readings, recorded by Don Wasakase at Half's home in Saskatchewan. Thanks for listening. So we've um, we've been hoping in this podcast to. Um, reflect a little bit on what it means to be a writer and an artist this year in particular and the the demands that are placed on on 
on artists and and um, and also the the special role that that they might play for various communities during a, a very difficult year. So. Um, you know, I think it's been an, it is an understatement to say that this has been a very unusual year for writers um, and artists of all kinds, as well as for, for everyone and, and a, a very challenging one. Um, so the first question we had was, was really just, what has this been like for you as a writer this year? You mentioned you're extraordinarily busy despite everything? Well, um, the only thing that's been different for me has been coming, doing uh, productions for Zoom and having meetings on Zoom and, um, uh, you know, doing those podcasts that you've asked me. I, I, I did hire um, a, uh, a um, what was her name again? Uh, I had a I had a, a, um, a friend's nephew come and uh, record that Zoom uh, poetry reading for me because I uh, I'm not very good at doing it myself on on video and or cell phone you know what people want so I have to have somebody help me do that I mean I'm an older woman who the hell knows on understand technology at my age you know. Yeah, it's it's a new way to do these things for so many of us, I think, and and it must really change the nature of your relationship to your audience too, doing things this way. Uh, a little bit. I, I mean, I did a Zoom class last week with a, um, um, one of my fellow Cree speakers from my home reserve, and uh, he teaches Cree on Zoom, and and. Um, I had a lot of fun with it, actually, with uh, interacting with the students and um, uh, looking them, looking at looking at them on Zoom. It wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Um, I miss I miss the physical physicality of people. Uh, I, you know, the, the, I also live in a country half an hour out of the city, and so I don't uh, I, I, I I don't um, get one to one much, except mm -hmm. with my husband and my dogs. But um, um, yeah, like my writing itself hasn't changed because of of COVID. I mean, I I write about COVID, but uh, I mean for me. It, the isolation is not as bad as it may be for some people because writers generally speak and work alone. So mm -hmm. it's not different for us. Yeah. Um, one of the things we've been thinking about at the Canadian Literature Centre sort of as we've been um, hosting these alternative kind of events um, and readings um, with writers is is about the the role that that writers have during difficult times like these and i wondered if if uh writing during covid has has made you reflect on um on your special purpose in relationship to a community that that maybe looks to writers um for different kinds of guidance or consolation um in, in their own isolated moments. Um, could you, do you have anything to say about that? 
Um, early last year when COVID started, I thought um, I thought I needed to maintain some sort of community. And um, one of my communities is a group of walkers from across Saskatchewan predominantly, but they come from many parts of uh, the country. And I've been walking with them for the last three years. And this year, this last year, we walked from um, Valmarie to Cypress Hills. There's a little bit of driving there, but it was a fine, beautiful walk. And a year before, we walked from Humboldt, Saskatchewan to Fort Carlton, and that was 108 miles. Wow. And then the year before, it was from uh, Murloc, Saskatchewan to Gravelberg, and that was 60 miles. And... Um, so I have maintained contact with that group. And so I wrote to them on a daily basis just to keep connected. And um, I, I did it for several months. And I didn't normally, and like writing, I don't normally get an immediate response. I mean, there's no immediate gratification to, to writing. Uh, unless you get great satisfaction for yourself. And I'm, I'm totally okay with that. So I have very little expectations when it comes to uh, people responding to my work. But it, uh, it got a little bit clumsy, not for myself. Well, yeah, maybe a little bit for myself. Um, and I backed off. I thought I'd rather keep the relationships then get into a, a verbal tassel on paper with individuals, you know. So I, I laid off. Um, I haven't done it since. And, um, you know, I mean, I wrote my first Christmas letter ever this year. And that was strange. I don't normally do that. Um, but other than that, you know, like... Um, uh, I'm so, I'm generally speaking, I grew up in a bush in northern um, Alberta, Saddle Lake Reserve, and we were isolated. There was just my niece and I, and my, my siblings had gone off already because they were older than me. And then we went to residential school, and then we came home and forged for ourselves. So essentially, I'm used to being by myself, you know, I've had to get used to it. And um, I, I lived in Northern on Saskatchewan for six years with my husband and kids. And my community wasn't very large either. So um, you got to be comfortable in your own body and with your own skin. And, uh, and of course, sometimes being there, it requires a lot of introspection and it can bring you to uncomfortable places, but it's up to you to rectify that. Louise Half, you are reading to us in your podcast from each of your four collections of poetry, Bare Bones and Feathers, Blue Marrow, The Crooked Good, and Burning in This Midnight Dream. And obviously, we recommend these volumes to our listeners as particularly rich reading these days. Um, but we wondered um, if there are any other poems or stories by other authors that have been important or influential to you these days that you would recommend as pandemic reading. Um, I just want to make one point. Um, Awas's Kinky and Disheveled 
is another book that's coming out on April 1st. As far as I know, it's April Fool's Day, but sometime that first week in April, it's put out by Brick Books. It's very different from any of the other texts that I've written. For one, we don't have pronouns in Cree. Okay, and so I take people on a really weird journey with a character, Awasis. Awasis is the child within the adult who gets into all kinds of mischief. And uh, I've really enjoyed writing that particular manuscript because it, uh, some of these stories came from um, the community at large in Saskatchewan, so it was fun. Um, you know, that's an, I, I, I didn't grow up reading poetry, so I'm not familiar to a lot of these ancient dead white men. Um, the person that influenced me, I think, the most, and it wasn't so much as his uh, style of writing, was Patrick Lane, the late Patrick Lane. Hmm. And I would suggest that people read Patrick Lane and his, his thick volume and also his essays. And uh, because I, what I loved about his writing is that it was raw, it was truthful, it was funny, it was disastrous, all of those things. And for me, it bridges um, a lot of commonalities between a white race and a native race and a lot of other races. So that's who I would recommend. Well, thank you, and I'm really looking forward to uh, picking up Oasis when it comes out, too. It sounds absolutely phenomenal, as all your work is, and I'm so grateful that you, uh, that you offered your readings to us this year, and uh, I, know, I know many people will be listening, uh, looking forward to listening to those, um, but thank you for this conversation today, too. It's been a pleasure. And now Louise will read to us from her four books, Bare Bones and Feathers, Blue Marrow, The Crooked Good, and Burning in This Midnight Dream. The Residential School Bus. A yellow caterpillar, it swallows them up. The little brown ones, their stained faces in the windows, skinny and thick black braids, pressing hands grease the glass. On its back, a caterpillar carries hand-sewn canvas bags. Outside, against the evening sun, the mothers, the fathers shrink. They cannot look at the yellow caterpillar. The building is huge with long, white, empty hallways. A child walks softly. The echo runs ahead of her. The smell of Lysol and floor wax overwhelms the memory of wood smoke and dirt floors. At night, the little ones press their bodies between cold, starred sheets. Somewhere, someone in a huge dorm sobs quietly. The child clenches two purple suckers underneath her pillow. She won't eat them, not for a while. They line up for breakfast and receive wonderful bowls of porridge. She loves porridge. Her mama always made her porridge. She looks up and sees her favorite brother. Ivan's ears look like two gliding hawks. They've given him a crew cut. Charlie, the eldest brother, is in the big boy's room. 
She doesn't see him and doesn't care. Her eyes linger on Ivan. They smile. She swallows the porridge that is stuck in her throat. Jesus is always mad. She sits too often in a confessional. She kneels too often in front of Jesus. The vision box collects people and makes them dance. She turns the buttons and the dancing people turn into black and white lines. She kneels in a corner. The girl with the mean stick and fat mouth hovers near her. She's a huge night moth beating her wings against the dance. They've arrived, wagon loans of mothers, of fathers. The children have been very picking. Sister Tribeau is like that girl with big lips. Sister's lips stick out further. The arrival of mothers and fathers makes her matter. The children stand around the corner of the building, wondering whose father, whose mother was there. She didn't want to hope. Father Brown in his long black dress calls out names. Times are scheduled. In the bare parlor they sit, mother, father, Ivan, and her big brother. They're stiff hugs. She wants more, but can't. The stiffness stays. The glass between the parlor and the hallway is marked with grease-stained hands and smudges of rain. The yellow school bus waits. He was tired of having his ears pulled, squeezed, and slapped by Sister Superior. They bled and swelled, scabbed and scaled like the brick wall. Often he didn't hear the sister shouting and clapping her orders at him or the rest of the little boys. The others, when they could, would nudge him so he could lip-read Sister's words. He was embarrassed to undress in front of all the boys and especially sister. At home, he always looked out the window when someone was undressing. Here, everyone looked and laughed at your private parts. Soon, they too were no longer private. He suffered in silence in the dark. A hand muffled his mouth while the others snaked his wiener. He had no other name, knew no other word. Soon, it was no longer just the hand, but the push. Just a gentle push at first, pushing, pushing. Inside the blanket, he sweated and felt the wings of pleasure. Inside his chest, the breath burst. Pain, pleasure, shame, shame. On a reserve, he had already raped two women. The numbers didn't matter. Sister Superior was being punished. It was father who said it was woman's fault that he would go to hell. He walked, shoulders slightly stooped, and never looked directly at anyone. When spoken to, he mumbled into his chest. His black hair covered his eyes. He no longer tried to lip-read, no longer studied the brick walls. <clears throat> So sorry. 
The Pope said, I'm so sorry, I said to use the sack of scalloped potatoes. He said Indian agents would give Daddy a roll of twine, a box of shells and whiskey. My spirits crawled inside my Daddy and never left. He sent blankets and my babies died. He sent wooden sticks with a dead man to hang around my neck. He said, if I pray to you, Jesus, I ate your body, drank your blood, threw up my bannock, lived on my knees, counting stones. I'd never be without my family. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, the Pope said. I thought you were just gathering to lift your legs, thump your chest around the tree of old men. I didn't know the rock and twig you smoked, bear, blueberries and sweetgrass were your offerings. I wouldn't have taken your babies and fed them wafers and wine. I'm so sorry. I just thought we could borrow land for a little to plant our seeds, raise sheep and build healing churches, schools. I didn't. I really didn't know how you survived for centuries on buffaloes and teepees praying in medicine wheels. I'm so sorry. I should have told the settlers to quit their scalping, selling hair at two bits for each Indian. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Maybe I could build healing churches, chapels full of sweetgrass and drums, chase the spirits out and fill sweat lodges full of our angels. In the name of the Father poop on my knees, I prayed to Jesus because I got mad at my husband for humping and making too many babies. I apologized because I'm mad and cried. Didn't have no bannock and lard to feed them because my husband drank all the sunyas for wine. In the name of the Father poop on my, hu my husband slapped fist and kicked me. I hit him back. I apologize, Poop. The priest said I must have done something wrong, and I apologize. I deserve it, because woman is supposed to listen to man. I'm not a good wife, because my, my hands sometimes want to kill him. In the name of the water, Poop, I look at other man. He's so handsome, my eyes hurt. He kind, gentle, soft, laugh, and my body wants to feel his hot face. I know Jesus would be mad. He said, I must not be dirty in my thoughts, but poop, I want smile in warm arms. In the name of the Father, poop, inside the sweat lodge, I shame, cause Indian is squirrel don't know nothing. In church, priest, said all us pagans will go to hell. I don't know what that means. All I know, I is big sinner. And maybe I won't see Jesus when I die. In the name of the Father Poop. I thought that Jesus kind, but I is no good. I can't read him right. I don't know. I don't understand how Camunias has clean house and lots of feet and he don't share it with me and my children. I don't understand why Jesus say I be poor, stay on welfare, because Munia say I good for nothing, because I don't have wisdom. Forgive me, Poop. I is big sinner. My letters. Dear Poop, 
Forgive me for writing on this newspaper. I found it in the outhouse, saw lines that say you were sorry. Some of my Indian friends say it's good, but some of them say you sorry don't walk. So I was sitting here thinking that we may be talk. Say, I was, I always want to tell you to stay out of my business. If me wants to talk to trees and build nests in house, that's up to me. If me wants to pitch my tent and feed the ghost paddock and berries and maybe throw some Indian popcorn for you, Jesus, that's up to me. I don't ask forgiveness. Not one hand Mary's or a stepladder to heaven. Me is happy with the sky, the bird Inua, four-legged Inua. I is happy. Sorry mean that I don't need his church and his priest telling me what to do. Sorry mean that I free to talk to Manitou, the plants and spirits. That's all for now, poop. Maybe we talk again next time I see you in the newspaper. In the outhouse. <clears throat> I am in this room. A mosquito buzzes my arms. I've smudged with sage. <coughs> I think repelling thoughts for the mosquito and these icons. My hunt is without a rifle, without a net. My bone filled with the fists of women in the fur trade. The orange sunset dies beneath broken beer bottles. The birds cackle in the embers of the dying heat. I receive a rock in the mail. Hummingbird sends a wing. I barricade myself. My fingers crows, ravens the computer, Quebec referendum. I sip, notes slip under my door. I can hardly get past my throat. Large white splattering at the house, feathered people storming Columbus Road. My wound has opened again. His bones at the Cathedral of San Domingo move four times, different burial grounds, and the last move is ashes spill and are trampled. Possession took me last night. I slept with a bone. The jawbone of elk lined with pearly teeth. I bathed her in sweetgrass, laid her under my pillow. Winds swept through me. This path has chosen me. This chosen walk is a blizzard whiteout. My cream alone in this heavy arm of snow. I hang onto this bone dressed in satin, wade into red berry lakes. I am married to her garden of carrots and sweet corn heads. I lay her skull, broken jaws, face them to the east. When Newcomb's granddaughter slept on top of graves, I thought she was crazy. All night I danced above her head. She dragged a string of skulls, heavy and torn reins, creeing loud into my night. 
I sleep with rocks too. I couldn't say this before. Who could I say it to except Nookum's granddaughter? The rocks fill me. Their stories, slates in dreams, heavy in my stomach, move like thick clouds blown by my labored breathing. I cannot catch them. I don't think to ask them to slow down. I sleep with petrified wood too, frozen snails, snakes with amber eyes, crystallized tails. Soon, the black robes will burn me, stake me to their cross. I won't have to live in white oats much longer. Benny Tachuate Nukamak, Benanapatahinan, Gawakateo Nipunenan, Benny Tachuate Nukamak, Benanapatahinan, Esugepe, Gimaskiki, Gawinap, Nanapati, Waya. Benny Tatsuag Nukum up, get the bar game none, so aim none. Benny Tatsuag Nukum up, climb down, my grandmothers. Ben on a bar to Hinan, come heal us. The thick fog, the fog has lifted, the ice shattered, the crossing of the roads is where we meet. Benny Tatsuag Nukum up, climb down, my grandmothers. Ben on a bar to Hinan, come heal us. Your medicine so power, that which will heal us. Take pity on us, bless us. Bless me, Father, I've pierced my flesh, danced with the sun, bathed my face in blood. I didn't mean to. Forgive me, Father, I ask for absolution. I promise to say my rosary and serve my time. I promise to keep my hands to myself and swallow my tongue. Amen. We gathered in a darkened room, bodies pressed leg to leg, our breath mint and guarded, sage and sweet grass woven into my burlap gown. We held hands, my love and I. On each side, my mother and father sat, Blankets, tea, sugar, flour, gunpowder, tobacco, ribbon, blueberry cloth. In the dark they came. I bring to you these voices I will not name. Voices filled with bird calls, snorting buffalo, kicking bears, mountain goats. I do not recognize who speaks. Skin unfolds, sag after sag. Words squeezed through her blistered tongues, licked till my heart stings, my eyes swell. Lightning flitted, scorched our flesh, they tore out our tongues. When we spoke, my love and I, darkness swelled, thunder became our footsteps. This ceremonial of dance of my dead, we were wedded that night. The night has no shadow, her veil, always an open mouth. Listen to the bones. Ink oh. whiskey. Turn around, woman. When I was growing up in the bush on the hillside, I watched the sun arrive from the dark. 
watched her slip into the dark. I traveled. I didn't know the world back then. I just traveled. I was afraid I would never return. I tumbled that hillside back into myself. You can tell me, after you hear this story, if my name suits me. I'd be up to figure it out. In Rib Woman, stories are born. The old man called it psychology. Me, I just dream it. These gifted, mysterious people of long ago. My mother, God for good, would say, they never died. They are scattered here, there, everywhere, somewhere. They know the language, the sleep, the dream, the loss, these singers, these healers, these ancient story keepers. I turn around and not one of them. I was taught by old people, an Indian man, a white man, an Indian woman, a white woman. They worked in layers in the full veins of rib woman. I sat in their thicket, wailing. The old ones navigated through my dreams. Sometimes they dragged, scolded, cajoled, cheered, and celebrated. I wanted to be with them, like them. I am not a saint. I am a crooked good. My cousins said I was easy, therefore I've never been a maiden. I am 70, but still I carry my sins. Brothers-in-law, I meet for the first time, wipe their hands as if I'm still among the maggots. I didn't know their woman wept when their men slept in my bed. I am not a saint. I married Abel, a wide green-eyed man, 50 years now. Inside Rib Woman, I shook hands with promise. Promise never for God trailed me year after year. His big heavens, a morning lake, drowns me in my lair. I learned how to build Rib Woman one willow at a time, one skin at a time. I am only half done. This is part of the story. I, Ikwiski, am a dreamer. I dream awake, asleep, on paper. The old man said the universe, the day was a story, so every day I am born. The old man taught me to unfold night visits. The old woman taught me all of it was real. The old white woman helped me to cry with the thunder. I am inhaling mountains. Voices skate, flow beneath ice shelves, grope through cracks to catch each breath, breathe the voice to itself. A duck splayed in ice still flying, its voice racing beneath slivers. Voices from nose-blowing ravens, they grind, sputed beneath their heels. Curious, beady heavens crane, peer. Female voices, male. My husband's voice, 
when it winds around my body, deeply patient, fever, his slender mouth an O of wet kisses, his voice a prayer lifting off a leg, broad as a tree trunk, moves as an infant finger, he is with smoke, grass fire soot, grapefruit, a writing paper, a song in a sweat lot, a stake in rib woman. I build a story like my lair, one willow, one rib at a time. Bend it into my hip, ground into earth. I walk the forest, hitchhiking seeds clung to my socks, hop into my pant cuff, bed it into my swollen lips of my boots. I walked slow, held a buck saw, an axe, bled the willows, draped skins, high blankets, tarps over their crippled bodies. This book took shape. In this lair, I lived in darkness, dug a pit, heated the grandfathers till they sweated, dreams dripped from my breast, from my many lips. Connecting. I cannot say for sure what happened to my mother and father. The story said she went to St. Anthony's Residential School and he went to Blue Quills. They slept on straw mattresses and attended classes for half a day. Mother worked as a seamstress, a kitchen helper, a dining room servant, or labored in the laundry room. Father carried feed for the pigs, cut hay for the cattle, and toiled in the massive garden. This little story is bigger than I can tell. Before them were Nukum and Musum. She was a medicine woman whose sweat lodge was hidden away, wore prayer beads, and always had a pipe dangling from her mouth. Nimasum had his own car back in the 50s, and he plowed his own land. He was a wealthy man because they lived in a house while we had a cabin. He lifted the sweat rocks for Nukum. That is as far back as I can take you. All the old man said is that I have nothing to weep about compared to them. I now know where the confusion began. She was a tough mistress, that confusion. We are all caught in her web. Her history is covered in blisters, welts, and open sores. You already know that part. We came later. We were the children my mother and father tried. Yes, tried to raise. How scared Nimasum and Nukum were. They knew what the priests and nuns, supervisors did at those schools. We all left, all of us. Confusion was in our wind. We no longer knew where to turn. This is where my footsteps began. Where my footprints appear in snow, in grass. I don't like walking backwards. Old ones haunt my thoughts, tiny spirits that brush the color off my wings. I need them now to help others understand what happened. It wasn't their fault. It wasn't our fault. Confusion was the ultimate glutton. He came from far away, wore black robes and, cru and a crucifix. He was armed with laws, blankets, and guns. He fixed us with a treaty that he soon forgot. 
Sometimes the end is told before the beginning. One must walk backwards on footprints that walk forward for the story to be told. I will try this backward walk. Masaskun, strip. I found myself released from residential school, yet the four walls slittered everywhere I went. I had no regimented call to wake up, line up for breakfast, for dinner, for supper, for school, and no one checking the work I did. There were no boarding school dresses, no tabs to fight over. I didn't know how to behave, didn't know what was expected at the Indian Affairs homes. I was expected to carry on my reading, writing, and arithmetic. I didn't know how to register for class, how to study, how to ask. Silence and humiliation wove my umbilical cord in this new womb. I wandered, calling inside my own name. You've been listening to Louise Bernice Half, Sky Dancer, reading to us from her home in Saskatchewan. This has been an episode of the Canadian Literature Centre's Brown Bag Lunch podcast reading series, produced by Sarah Krotz, Austin Lee, and Matthew Cormier, edited by Claire Peters, music composed and performed by Bruce Ziff. The CLC's programming is made possible by generous financial support from Dr. Eric Schloss and from the Faculty of Arts at the University of Alberta. New episodes of the 2020-21 Brown Bag Lunch podcast reading series will be posted monthly on the Canadian Literature Centre's website. Thanks so much for listening.